The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Dietary Requirements, the Spin-Offs Food Podcast. We're here to talk to you about the cultural, social and political role of food in Aotearoa and break bread with some of the buzzy people in the local scene. Ko Simon Day tēnei. And as always, in the studio with me today is Alice Neville, the Spin-Offs Food Editor. Kia ora, Simon. And Sophie Gilmore, New Zealand's best home chef. <laughs> Thanks, so. I love when she looks up at me like, what the fuck is he going to say <laughs> this time? What's he going to say this time? What incorrect tagline is he coming up with this week? We've Food got boss. a really special episode for you today. A little bit experimental. A lot of hard work for our homie Tahi on the boards. Uh, we went on a field trip to Kingi, the seafood-focused restaurant on the ground floor of Hotel Britomart, and had a cooking lesson from head chef Tom Hishon. And we're shown around the prep kitchen, their new space, their new event space on the first floor, the libraries, really, really stunning. And we also got to, to look into, I, I think I named it the Fish Library. Um, I thought that's what it was called, but you know, you can, you can claim I'll, that. I'll claim it. I came up with it on the spot. God, it mm. was good. Uh, which was a really, really beautiful vision into the care and love they, they have for their produce, but we will talk about that later. But before we do, a little bit of shameless self-promotion. It's August, and that means Visa Wellington on a plate is in full swing. And this year, Dietary Requirements is an official participant. On August 15, we are hosting a live session of the podcast at Parrot Dogs uh, Brewery in Lyle Bay, one of my favourite spots to have an afternoon beer and some food. We'll be there from 3 till 5pm doing a couple of sessions. The first is a chat with Matt, Matt and Matt uh, from Parrot Dog about their 10 years in the game. Their 10th birthday uh, happened just last month, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then we will be talking about the future of hospitality, taking an issue that's sort of been really big at the moment and looking at where the pain points are, what some of the solutions are and what the future could look like. It's going to be really, really fun. It's free. Show up, bring your mum, bring your son and uh, have a really nice afternoon with the three of us. Bring your dog. We'll be signing autographs. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fun. Same. And we got three days in, or I've got three days in Wellington. You have more. I've got like five days in. Yes, good girl. old Tifanganui Atara. Yeah, I think I'm gonna just 
snatch 48 hours, yep. but I'm going to give it everything. Yeah. It's Beervana weekend. So it's a perfect hair of the dog is come have a beer at Parrot Dog and um, listen to us talk shit. So I, was, I really, really enjoyed uh, the trip to Kingy. It's not often you get to hang out with a really great chef in such uh, close proximity and, and learn about their craft. And I learned so much from like start to finish, like where the fish come from, how they look after it, how to cook it well. And it was just really fun. I reckon it was also um, such a good example of how the story makes you like the restaurant more, like the people totally, behind it, yeah. their philosophy. Because I've been to Kingy and I enjoyed it, but after spending time with Tom and understanding more about what they do and tasting that flounder dish, I'm absolutely dying to go back. Mm. Yeah, I've interviewed Tom before a few years ago when he was, before Kingy existed, about his like philosophy around sustainability, particularly with seafood. And yeah, he's a very knowledgeable and interesting guy to talk to about that stuff. I found him quite... Um, a calming influence as well. Given yes, he's got quite a he's got quite a zen. Totally. Well, our thing. the industry is really hectic at the moment. Yeah. Like there's a massive staffing crisis, and everyone I see is feeling like stressed and overwhelmed. And Tom just felt really calm. Chill nice. vibes. I think he was at his best in that environment as well. Yeah. Chefs can be a little bit guarded or a little bit apprehensive about hanging out uh, with the media. And instead we were hanging out with him in his um, safe space. So yeah. it worked yeah. really, really well. I mean, what a space as well. So beautiful. So cool, yeah. So we started in a um, chiller where um, Kingy hangs and, and dries um, all its fish. And I guess we'll let the, let the audio do the talking because it was, it was really cold and really beautiful in there. Yeah, so I'm just, um, I guess, when we were putting the plans and concept together for, for Kingy, um, obviously space, storage space is pretty key, you know, um, so I really wanted to have a designated space for hanging our, um, our, all our line called fish. How so, good does it look? Oh, wow. First thing, we've got um, the flounder, which we're going to cook today. All these fish are caught uh, mostly from up in Lee and out of the Parapet uh, Gulf. Um, on small day boats. I was yeah. really lucky to spend a morning out on In Excess, a Lee Fisher and his oh, boat. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. And it was... It's a boat called In Excess. <laughs> I love it. The skill and care for the way they catch it and then the way they treat it afterwards is insane. It is. Yeah, so we, we get a lot of our fish from In Excess. Um, someone's kahawai might be and snapper that we see here. Um, yeah, but they are... It's such a hard job what they do, and the amount of care that they kind of put into, you know, harvesting um, and protecting their own resources is um, is really cool. So it's. And are these dry aging, or is this just how you're storing them? Um, yeah, both. It's um, it's a dry aging room. Um, for anyone that's listening, they're immaculately lined up and hung up. Yeah, and they're all sort of hanging, I guess, intact. So they've got their skin on, um, guts out. And what that does is it's sort of like if you were, I guess, dry-aging a piece of, you know, like a, a quarter of a cattle beast or a lamb, um, it slowly removes moisture, uh -huh. um, which um, intensifies flavour. Yeah. So, Do you age all your fish? We store it, we store it like this. We age the kahawai um, for up to 10 to 12, 14 days sometimes for our raw kahawai plate. Um, and then it's just a way that we, 
we store flesh it means that we can kind of we go through you know a lot of fish each week so it just keeps the fish in the same condition they're kind of um, they're not lying flat you know when you catch a fish or you get them a fish and yeah they go um, sludgy and get rigor mortis and um, in this way it's sort of it's a really nice way to, to work with fish that are, um, the and fillet, so on yeah. the cow white plate is that like would you say it's part cured by then if you've got 12 days of air in the fridge does it make a difference does it still taste really fresh um, still tastes really fresh it's probably just the complexity of flavour that you get and, and how it breaks down when you're eating it right it's um yeah it's just really delicate and Delicious to eat. Is this your happy place? Is it a row? Yeah, but it's, it is very cold. It's about three to two degrees, so I can't spend too too much time in here. But it's it's really nice to come in here and just see all the different people that we support and work with um, through the restaurant, see their product in here. Yeah. And, um, it's yeah, it's it's an inspiring place to be. We've got um, what have we got? We've got some beautiful um, speared butterfish up here. Yeah, I was going to ask what that is. Um, so that's a reef fish, and there's a couple of guys in New Zealand that have um, permission from the um, MPI and the government to, to spear these. Um, so each fish is literally being, um, yeah. Individually shot? Yeah, with the spear, um, from Speardiver. Um, the guy, his name's Dwayne, he's um, in Bluff, and uh, he, yeah, he goes out once or twice a week and yeah, it just goes around the rocks. And How many do you get from it? Oh, we, we, we try to get about 10 or 20 kilos a week. And, yeah. Um, it's, they're just sort of piloting the idea, but it's amazing because it's individually selected, so he can kind of see the size of the fish. Um, there's no bycatch, obviously. There's no, you know, there's no harm on the environment. The seabed floor is, is intact. And... I've never seen a butterfish before. Yeah, they're... It's so black. They're a beautiful fish. They're beautiful. The reason you don't um, see them commercially or um, on many menus is because they're really hard to catch. They, they're vegetarian, right. so they just eat kelp and, and seaweeds. And that's probably why they're, they're so dark in colour as well, because their environment. We've been talking a lot on the podcast about the value of food and how people don't always understand the investment that's made in its production, its catching in this case, and... Uh, in its presentation, I think it's a really great example of the care and skill and time and effort that's gone into getting this amazing product, you know, one at a time uh, for you. Yeah, 100%. I think it's, um, it, it, it has to just be a way that, of the future that we integrate in, in a commercial sense because um, there's no reason why more restaurants can't source fish like this. So I think that's definitely one of the solutions in terms of... Um, creating more of a sustainable food chain in terms of the way that we, we um, harvest seafood and um, protect stock stocks, really. And Are we taking a flounder off the rack, or have you got one um, ready to go? We uh, we do have one ready to go um, that I'm just bringing up to room temperature out here. But, yeah, these, these flounder, are, um, they're all from the Kaipara Harbour, um, and they're caught by a guy called uh, Peter Yardley who's been fishing um, on the Kaipara for... I think close to 30 or maybe even over 30 years now. Um, so we're, yeah, we're cooking whole flounder today. So we all had to leave the fish library because Simon was cold. <laughs> Honestly, I was buzzing out. I could have stayed in there for ages because firstly, I've never seen a butterfish, like a glossy black fish. So and black. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Secondly, I was wearing a lot of warm clothes, so I was all good. But... Um, 
I like, there's something just so refreshing or pleasing about things that are lined up in perfect order. Yeah. And they had like the S-shape uh, metal hooks with the fish up the top and then a fish hanging off the next fish. Yeah, We've got was, some photos that somewhere. It was lovely. And I liked how they were all had little tags with the date they were caught on. And it was, yeah, it was all very calming and chaos-free. And Tom knows the names of the fishermen that catch a lot of the fish. Yeah. We learned about the difference between long lining mm-hmm. as opposed to netting. Yeah. We learned, I've ne- I'd never heard the term bycatch before. Hadn't you? So, no. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that... It's the big issues, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the issue um, for those other people that may not know. Yeah. I was well, always in the, the, in the room. One of the um, good things about uh, long lining is a lot of the um, fish bycatch, the fish that you don't want, that is hooked, can be returned uh, to the sea still alive. Yeah, but he said anything, it also includes seabirds and there's a bunch of damage that's done to um, other natural life other than the fish that you're trying to catch. So mm. I thought that was really interesting. Well, that's too. Sort of stuff with the um, Maui dolphin and, you know, the netting that occasionally they get caught in there. So that's not ideal. Yeah. And it sounds like the um, Kaipara Harbour is has a beautiful bounty of all things fish. It does, yes. That's where the flounder that we cooked came from. Um, okay, so then we got to watch Tom prepare the fish for us. I did, I'm not sure if it gets included in the clip or not, but I reckon the most underrated uh, piece of kitchen equipment you can have is scissors. Mm, yes. Yeah, so that was, uh, at first I thought that that was some sort of like chef techie term that I, um, technique that I hadn't realised, but Tom started by cutting with scissors the fins and the tail um, off the flounder, but it was to make it fit in what was probably the world's most beautiful copper fry pan. Yeah. Yeah, that was very uh, soothing to watch as well, slicing off the. I know the calm with which chefs. uh, Something very calming about that whole um, experience. The meat that they're working with is, is mm. pretty amazing. I learned so much as well. Like um, a really important tip was to ensure that fish you're serving on the bone is uh, cooked all the way through. It's going to stick to it as you try to um, peel it off the frame or, or or actually even just peel the frame away once you've finished um, the top the top side. And, and never can you have too much butter. Yeah, I think that that was interesting, the comment that um, Tom made about how you can see when something is that's on the bone is cooked well because it starts to lift off the bone. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the same thing about, I remember at cooking school when they were teaching us to roast potatoes or make potato chips in the oven, um, hand cut, that the, the answer to when the potato is ready is when it's lifted itself off the baking sheet. So there's a bit of an exercise of patience because then you get the best end result. And also that he said you cook about, I can't remember, but let's say seven minutes on one side, three on the other, like you would a steak as well, because you get something to cook and crisp on the bottom and cook almost all the way through and then just turn it and finish it. I've found it really interesting working a lot more with iron pans recently. It feels like your steak might have stuck, or, or your you know your, your chicken thigh is stuck to the um, to the pan, whereas you're so used to just sliding around on Teflon. But what it's doing is just building its crust, and like you talked about, when it releases itself, that's when you know that you've got that real nice crispy skin on your flounder or the nice crust on your steak. Mm. So I think 
you know, we start with learning about how Sophie eats flounder all the time. See, I've never cooked flounder for myself. So now, now I'm going to. It's not expensive. So if you it's go not hard either, but we'll talk about that in a second. So if you go to the fish market in that second room where all the whole fish are. This is the Auckland fish market. Yes, yeah, sorry. Of us in down at Wynyard Quarter. Um, if you walk into that second room down the end where all the whole fish are, you can always get flounder. And it's, um, like you said, Simon, it's really, in, it sort of like punches above its weight in terms of how impressive it looks because it's a white flaky fish and it is best with a bunch of fat because that's what brings out its flavour. So basically you get to look like this fancy hero when you do it. I did it recently with um, Beurre Blanc and just poured it all over the flounder and it's so yummy. Yeah. I can't believe I haven't ordered the flounder off your menu. I'm sort of a bit miffed with myself. It's always next time. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... It's, I still think it's quite an underrated fish. Um, people maybe just being scared of how to approach a flounder. And I think that's kind of what we try and do here is educate people about, you know, the best way to eat it. And um, My dad used to flour and fry flounder for lunch at the weekends. It's like his... Yeah, my mum cooks the rest of the week, but it was like Saturday, go to the fish market, get flounder, flour it and fry it. But I actually haven't really seen it cooked any other way. Well, it is being a delicate flesh. It, it loves it loves fat, so the way we'll cook it is in a pool of foam and butter. And now you're talking. It's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favourite. Like if, if it was a, a dish that I'd probably you know at last Death supper, row. yeah, yeah, it would be, it would be a whole flounder with um, with some sourdough. Yeah. Um, and it's super approachable to cook at home. Um, and yeah, everyone's got, you know, if you don't have a big enough pan to cook the whole fish in, um, you can always, um, you know, roast it in a really hot oven as well. Oh, can you? Yeah, so in, um, at Kingy, we, we cook this whole in the wood fire oven, and then oh. um, the condiment that we're putting with it is, um, is the foaming butter, the bernoisette, and we um, do that with crispy capers um, and curry leaves, and then a touch of lemon as well. Which is oh, it's a it's just a riff on on, on a classic really. Um, everyone's had you know flounder with capers and butter, but um, with the curry leaves, it kind of just gives it a different profile and nuance. Uh, curry leaves with the butter is just um, it's delicious. Would you say one medium flounder feeds two adults? Yeah, I, or I think are we so. Just pigs in my well, you know, I think it's being a whole fish. There's meat, you know, throughout in the head, in the head and around the wings. So. Um, I would say one for two is, is a good a good amount. Um, you know, if you incorporate a couple of side dishes um, or some breads. Um, but you know, people come here all the time and just order a flounder for themselves. And I find myself yeah. eating a whole flounder <laughs> yeah. to myself. Yeah. Pizza. Yeah. yeah. And do you serve it with? Um, would you eat it with acid yourself? Like I like it with a salad that's got vinegary leaves or something that a bit acidic as well. Yeah, I think something to cut um, the butter. The butter is. Um, it's pretty important. Lemon juice does um, the trick, probably. Yeah, a bit of lemon juice or, um, yeah, just a crunchy bitter leaf salad. Um, some veggies. It's pretty versatile. You know, some people have it with fries and go go pretty full noise on it. It's quite a vibe with yeah. shoestrings. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and in the other direction, I feel I like I'd have, a, have an equally buttery Chardonnay to go with it. Mm. Yeah, loves a buttery shard. Or a freezing <laughs> cold beer. Yeah. Yum. And yeah. why did you trim the, the fins? We don't generally trim them, but again, we did them through the um, the wood fire, so we cook them on a flat tray 
but today we're going to do them in the um, oh, to make it in a pan. pan. So um, that, that would be the only reason why, um, and it does make it easier to turn um, as well. So if you're doing it at home, it's just to work with it. It's probably a little bit easier. So Tom cut off the fins and the tail with scissors. I think an underrated uh, kitchen tool. Sophie actually taught me the best way to carve a chicken is to cut it into quarters with scissors. Yeah, I mean, most people don't have poultry scissors, but you can just use good kitchen scissors, can't you? Totally, yeah. yeah. yeah also, when you, how you've cut the tail off, when I've been doing it at home, sometimes you like leave it on to make it look beautiful, and then you go to flip it, and you're, you're left holding the tail, and the yeah. fish doesn't flip properly, oh. so yeah. it's probably like good to get it right. Yeah, and it does, it does really look beautiful when it is whole, and it's, um, you know, and all the, all the fins kind of crisp up and that, but um, I think if you're a first-time flounder cooker at home, mm. then you uh, can trim it up. Yeah, yeah. It's so that's easy. us, right? Three first-time flounder cookers. Oh, no, you've done it. Sophie's in I cooked yeah, yeah, flounder quite a bit for day. some reason. <laughs> I think serving up a whole fish to guests it always, it just looks so impressive, mm. no matter what it is. See, I thought as well, and Sophie and I are about to have a debate, uh, that, that it looked really easy to cook um, the flounder whole. So the Tom goes olive oil, fish in, pushes it down, gets the, the skin side really nice and crispy, uh, flips it, pushes it down, like gets, you know, cooking through on both sides and then dumps a whole lot of butter, a bunch of capers and some curry leaves. That's what it looked like to me. Yeah. Mm. But is it the, the same way that, like, you know, Roger Federer makes tennis look easy? <laughs> I think, like, cooking a, a scotch fillet perfectly looks quite similar to that, but how many times do you get a perfectly cooked one? Basically only in a restaurant. Oh, fuck that. I'm, I have scotch <laughs> okay, fillet mastered. I'm super proud of how infrequently I overcook a piece of steak. Okay. What I would say is that there was more technique to it than perhaps how it looks because, yes, everyone can go through those motions, but the, the timing of it's really important. So he rubbed the fish skin with olive oil and then he fried it for about seven minutes and he was pressing it down to make sure that the skin was frying. So we get that. Um, and then he flipped it over. No flour required, so that's actually harder than flouring it and then frying it because then the flour is what makes it crunchy. Um, then when, once he turned it over and added all the butter, he waited for the butter to melt, and then he waited for the butter to froth, and then he basted the fish with it while he was... Yeah. While it was frothy. Oh, my God. The sound. I just so love the sound of the butter relative to the hard, like, cackle yeah. of, of the olive oil. It was like this warm, like, bubble. Well, mm. the butter goes from solid to liquid to frothy to browned. So then when he hit that bernoisette, the brown mm. butter stage, is when he then added the acid, and the acid was the lemon juice. No, not lemon juice. He put yeah. capers and caper brine in. Um, he put no lemon, lemon in, yep. No caper and brine. then that kind of um, emulsifies with the fat that's left over. So you probably just if you if you tried to do it at home and fucked it up, you'd probably just get a watery sauce, which would still taste delicious. Yeah, we but do. We are running the recipe on the site, so keep an eye out. Yeah, I reckon that bernoisette would be easy to fuck up. I reckon I'd fuck that up, but Le you know, it's just butter. Maybe it's still. You have to watch it. it, and like Tom said, you have to listen to it. Yeah, Segway. Let's let the listeners listen to the bubbling butter. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I'll heat the pan up. 
Cool. So I think just to start off with, um, we're just going to rub the flesh with a touch of oil and then give it a nice sort of heavy crust of flaky sea salt. What sort of oil is that? Uh, that's just that's just olive oil. We do a lot of cooking with with olive oils. I really like the flavour and, and also the colour that you get with it on fish. See the beautiful uh, sort of yellow hue to the, the belly, the speckles. So this is a yellow belly founder, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. How many different varieties do we get in Auckland? Um, I'm not sure how many different species there are of flounder. I know there's, off the top of my head, there's about four or five. Um, I was cooking flounder in like a high country station in the South Island the other day and it was the same variety, so I guess they're... This is the most popular. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's right. You can get it from right up north to the bottom of the south. But I think in terms of the Auckland fish market, the um, the Kuiper is where where most of it comes. I think it's the largest. It's one of the largest harbors in um, the southern hemisphere. Is it? Yeah. And I was talking to one of the fishermen earlier today just to kind of do a bit of fact checking, and he was saying that um, each high tide or each tide, um, the equivalent of two square kilometers of water goes in and out of the channel, um, which is nuts when you think about mm. What one square metre of firewood looks like. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like a trailer full of firewood. Yeah. Yeah, two right. kilometres of water. Yeah, two like square kilometres. Square kilometres, yeah. Right, yeah. 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 Righty, so we uh, took it up. Wow, that's quite the, quite the glug. Yeah, we'd start off with a little bit of um, olive oil. Um, we'll just sort of slowly warm that up. How long do you do it each side? Yeah, I reckon, I reckon a couple minutes on the first side. Yeah. Um, I always seem to go longer on the first side and then um, as a rule of thumb, like 70% on the first side and 30 on the other. Um, oh, that's a good tip. Any, yeah, anything like with skin. Technique. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you get a really beautiful kind of, you know, caramelization and, um, and color on that, that, that first sort of presentation side or... So, I mean, a little tip, um, the reason we salted it heavily was just to stop it sticking to the pan. Um, and you'll know it's ready to flip when you can kind of just, when it's just free from um, um, from the pan, it won't, it won't be any part of the fish that's kind of resisting. So you can typically uh, just pick it up from the tail and turn it over like, like that. And no flour needed. No, we, we, we don't use flour. I mean, you can you can do. Um, Beautiful. So I think that's probably another key is to, you know, really um, make sure you kind of overindulge in, in the butter because you really want it swimming or cooking in that. It's like a foaming sea of butter. Um, and you, you probably can't have too much butter. So if you think you've got enough butter, add, add a bit more. That's what people don't realise, is why does the food in restaurants taste so good? It's because of the sauces, and they're made with lots of butter. And the salt. And the salt, yeah. You should be able to listen to the, the foaming butter, and if you go up close, you kind of... It's a really nice sound, like it, you can tell that you know, mm. it's all ticking away nicely. With such a different sound to two minutes ago, when it was uh, quite aggressive, frying it? aggressively in yeah. olive oil. Now it's, it's kind of a, a gentle... Uh, bubbling bar. Yeah, it's like a trickling screen animal fat. 
Just <laughs> look at the colour as well, like it's changing that nice beautiful golden hue now. Another good sign the capers are starting to um, open up and blister. Which is another good sign that we're starting to caramelise the milk solids. How cold was the butter that you put in? Um, it was just room temp. Okay. You can use fridge cold, but... Doesn't need to be. I don't think so, no. Um, How good does that look? So I'm just going to pop that. Just to sort of finish off on the oven. And more, more or less, it's, it's kind of 80% there. We're just going to let it rest out now. And cook through. You never really want to serve an undercooked flounder. Because it's on the bone. Um, does it come off? Yeah, it doesn't come off the bone. And, and that was also why I pulled it out of the fridge um, earlier as well. If, you, if you're taking it straight from the fridge, the last thing that's going to heat up is the bone. So if you're working with a room temperature fish, it's just a lot easier. Um, cooks through more evenly and consistently. That's a good, good tip. So after a couple of minutes, we'll just pull that out. I'd say that you wouldn't really want to take the butter any further than that. You're just sort of starting to see around the edge the, um, the milk solids have, have caramelised to a point where they're kind of that biscuity brown. And that's like, that's perfect, that's what we're after. So at that point there, I'm going to add in curry leaves. It's right at the end there. And they'll sort of... What an absolute vibe. Yeah. I love curry leaves. Yeah, it's so fragrant. And yeah. Any fat's a great vehicle for that. Yeah, right. I don't want to get into that point where they, they kind of curl up and that means they're sort of fully cooked through and then that's the garnish for the fish as well Yeah, yum! Mm. So then we'll slowly start spoon them on and then right at the end, after the leaves are on top we're just going to glaze the pan with a touch of um, lemon juice so just add that back to the heat You want the juice to reduce enough that um, the sugars and the juice caramelised, so that's what we're looking for now. So you kind of do a second sauce with the lemon juice? Yeah, it's right at the end. Just um. that. And now it's kind of got that glossy, glossiness to it from the, um, the juice from the May lemon. Also, we'll get a plate for that. Oh, yeah. And then the best part of all, not only did we get to watch and learn from Tom, we got to eat the fish. And it was so fucking good. I, um, you know, it was a real privilege to sit down on a Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock and get your hands covered in uh, butter. I don't know why I chose to eat it with my fingers. I sort of felt a bit of a sense of that too. Like, do I deserve this? Yeah. <laughs> like, it seemed like very... Intrude. Very indulgent. indulgent, that's the word I was looking for. I really loved the introduction of curry leaves, and I've been Same. getting into cooking with curry leaves lately. So I, I would highly suggest that anyone that's planning to cook this recipe from the um, the website does that with curry leaves. I'm going to do use them on heaps of stuff now as well. They, they add a really beautiful texture, like this like mm. crispiness to it. When they're fried, yeah. It reminds me of deep frying a sage leaf for, or something as well. Yeah, like pasta, it, yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking of before with the brown butter is that if you're making a pasta sauce as well, you have to cook the butter longer than you think. It's after it's finished frying, before it's about to burn. It's like the sweet spot. I was thinking about what the curry leaves added and a depth of flavour was the the three words I came up with. And I tried to work in preparation, I tried to work out what that actually means. Mm. And it reminded me of... Um, 
It's quite a savoury note, curry mm. leaves. And a length to the to the mouthfeel. Like, because it's such a delicate fish, it is, you know, it needs that butter, it needs that fat to bring out the flavours. But then what the curry leaves did for me was, like, there was this secondary experience of flavour in my mouth. They yeah, came yeah, yeah, through yeah. and yeah. made the whole mouthful last and made it so much more complex with such an easy technique addition. It's like the um, bay leaf challenge that we did on the podcast because... I would say that the eating the actual curry leaf, totally do that, delicious, crunchy, but it almost adds more depth of flavour, like an anchovy or a bay leaf, than the thing itself. It's got kind of a greeny, slightly woody, just quite savoury flavour, but it's. I think it makes it feel really, um, yeah, it's a depth of flavour thing. Mm. And I loved being able to eat with Tom as well. You don't yeah, often cool. share a feed with a chef. Yeah, he wasn't like, oh, I'll leave you guys too and rush off to... Yeah, rate it's nice that, that he sat down with it. And rate that he um, served it with just a baguette, mm, a warmed-up baguette. So and also ate himself. Like his portion was as big as anyone else's. He loves eating I think he was just honing he the, the fish heads. He gave us all the fillets. Yeah. And said he loves the roe as well. Mm. I'm, yeah, I always serve fish like that with green vegetables or with salad, with something quite acidic, so... It was actually a good time getting the bread out and mopping up the juices. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> it's like an dip, obvious thing to just say. Just dipping it straight into the pan because that was the cool thing as well and something that I will do when I, when I cook this for people is just take the pan straight out onto the table and drop it there yeah. and you sort of... There's that real skill to slicing off the fillets that uh, Tom taught us as well. So gently pull them away from the backbone as you go under them. Uh, and then I love ripping the frame off and dumping that um, sort of on the table as well. That looks so satisfying. And it's just, it's quite, you know, there's a lot of mana coming with uh, putting a whole fish down on the on the table. Well, I did a um, cooking class, a fish head soup one, with Peter Gordon at Homeland recently. And I'm not squeamish about um ingredients in the kitchen and one of the things we had to do was use our hands to get all the meat off the head of a massive harpoka and there was so much there meat on them heaps of meat, yeah. so I think that's going to become more and more of a thing right because unless you're making good use of the fish head yeah it's a really bad idea to be throwing them out do you, do you eat fish much at home Alice not in my own home because I just have always cooked vegetarian so I just kind of do but I eat fish at my parents' house a lot because my dad cooks so much fish and I eat it when I go out for dinner. I should cook it more at home. See, I, I almost exclusively eat it when I go out because I feel like I'm, I don't know, it sometimes feels too hard, too I think your much wife thought. doesn't like fish. It doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would be a reason you don't cook it much for dinner though, right? She can just have the salad. Speaking yeah, right. of um, the fish heads, I recently gave uh, Ginny Grant, who's been on our podcast before, who's a food writer, 10 snapper frames from my dad and she was just going to make heaps of stock but she was like oh my god there was so much meat on them that she made all this like she made like a fish head terrine and fried deep fried wings and then had me around for a fish feast I think it's kind of well it's topical for me because I've decided to eat more fish it's quite easy not to because I don't go to the supermarket a lot um and if you do go to the supermarket You'd have to be eating the fish that night, really. Yeah. Um, but you can. Supermarkets are getting really good at providing much fresher fish. Well, you can. Uh, you can ask them. New World Fisheries. Um, so there's there's a real investment in providing better, more sustainable, fresher fish at supermarkets. Well, and at Faro, you can ask them 
when it's come in or you can like for a catering gig before I've phoned them and they've put aside a whole side of salmon and they, they're really honest they're like are you eating it raw or are you going to cook it and if you're eating it raw they say come back tomorrow like just before you need it and we'll have it fresh but I think um, I got out a Jamie Oliver cookbook at the weekend because I'm kind of keen to up my fish game and he does a really good his books often have like a big section of fish and all the different types of fish like obviously it's different in the UK but last night I made um, Sarah Tuck's book um, Coming Unstuck yeah. the first one has got this epic fish curry recipe in it and it, it literally takes 10 minutes you just heat up some coconut milk with some aromatics and then you slide the fish in at the last minute Um, Mm. and it's a really good way to get lots of green veggies in like last night I did bok choy spinach and peas and it's in this like quite watery broth Mm. Um, but I think that that's a good way to use the lesser known fish as in a curry yeah Monkfish would go great in that. That's what I had last night yeah it's like two dollars a portion too guys get into it it's good to use my dad has so much fish in the freezer and curry's good to use that for a fish that's been frozen as well. Well, and I noticed Jamie Oliver does stuff like gets a um, red curry paste mm. from the supermarket and will rub it all over a fish and then bake it in a parcel with some greens. It's like so easy, but so yummy. Something I saw on food television probably decades ago now that I've always wanted to do is someone cooked a whole salmon in the dishwasher. What? <laughs> So you, um, you almost. I mean, like, I'm not surprised, but that's not what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Almost like you would with a normal one. You cover it in herbs and season it, and then wrap it up in tin and foil. Just put no soap in. No, you definitely and don't put soap. soap in. You, <laughs> might, you might even want to run a cycle first, yeah. soap free. No, like to... I get it. I'm just clarifying that it would just be like a hot, steamy, watery bath for your fish. Exactly, it's like a hot, steamy, watery bath for yeah. your fish. Maybe yeah. like it, what? What could you put in there? Instead of soap to help like season it, you put some curry leaves in yeah, the thing. Throw and close loose it. Yeah, yeah. curry leaves in there. Yeah, but I think it's also key to wrap it in uh, tin foil. You'd want to wrap it up quite well. You would want to wrap it up quite well, mm. and uh, we're almost due to wrap up. Uh, but you get to hear us have a chat with Tom uh, while we eat and learn about his own passion uh, for fish, one that we clearly are catching on to because that, that chat was nice. Catching on to? Get it? Ooh, also, on is this an episode where we get to broadcast eating noises? We normally try and avoid them for the listeners, but perhaps not this time. You know, I think we've already lost those people who have a phobia of it anyway. Hopefully everyone ago. just feels um, motivated to go and buy some flounder or other whole fish and give it a go. Yeah, or if you can't be bothered, just go to Kingy and order the, order the flounder. Yeah, he said people order a whole flounder to themselves. Mm. And also said that shoestrings are quite a nice accompaniment, which I think sounds like shoe quite a Shoestrings are a good accompaniment to pretty much everything. Yeah, probably. Thank you so much. I love ordering flounder, but I always find it quite stressful having to do the, like I'm scared I'll fuck it up, the actual serving, so like when someone else does it. A simple way to kind of approach it is just run your a knife down the spine of the fish. Yeah. Um, and the, the flesh should just you know, pop away from the bone kind of see in there and then you can just run down the skirt of it as well and then um. you need a spoon kind of all those, those delicious crispy capers and leaves on top of that we've got some warm bread here as well that second, this bit gets me quite often the skirt, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And I mean, you can kind of run your fingers through that later on, and I, I love picking at it. Um, mm-hmm. It used to be kind of something we do once a week um, growing up, going out to Reedy Beach, um, just eat everything. I love the row as well. I think not many people eat the row, but I think Alice would go we would have row there. Ooh, um, <laughs> do you go floundering up here? Uh, not so much because I don't really have a, I don't have a net. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my marae is right on the Kafia Harbour. So this is yeah, oh wow. So that's a great my my, my two lang of way of food uh, up there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's still a lot of people um, floundering down there. Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. Oh wow. Totally so good. Skin's delicious. It is, yeah, yeah. Maybe just we should make a rule that no one should come to Kenya without ordering this. Mm. <laughs> It's problematic because I feel the same way about the blue cod ones. And mm. I guess those are two compulsory dishes at yeah. start and middle of your meal. Those are not mutually exclusive. Absolutely delicious. Do you cook fish at home life? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. There's something about the subtlety of the flounder and its delicateness mm. that goes so well with the, the butter. Um, yeah, well, I think like it needs it needs the butter because mm. it is a delicate, you know, fish is not there's not a whole lot of fat in the in the flounder, so yeah, yeah I'd really be well interested what steamed flounder would taste like because I've only ever had it with shitloads of butter. Yeah, but also I liked that the curry leaves absorbed the lemon juice too, so they're like mm. crunchy mm. and lemony. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Curry leaves are so good. Curry leaves and capers. I love that. That's um, so simple. Yeah, get does involve you know, some smart techniques. Mm. You know, you're, if you cook that for friends at home, you'd feel pretty good about it. Yeah, and it, it's so doable for people at home. You know, it's I think it's one of those dishes that once you do nail it, you can just do it time and time again, and yeah. you don't have to rush it. It's kind of like a, a, a slow, gradual process. But if you're entertaining, you know, you can just kind of stand there with a glass of wine and talk to your mates and. There's not a whole lot of prep that goes into yeah. it either. You just you look really impressive with minimal effort. Well, it's just good produce, you know, and we're, we're doing, you know, employing a couple of nice simple techniques um, and and letting letting the rest kind of speak for itself. Where do you buy a flounder? Fish market. Yeah, I think the Auckland fish market would be mm-hmm. your best bet. Good good fish monger, my boy Ray, at uh, the Parnell Farmers oh, Market. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's gone up in value a lot as well, just from popularity. And yeah, is it quite expensive to buy? Um, it's around 20, 20, we buy it for around $20 a kilo, oh, yeah. which isn't isn't super expensive, mm. but it's, you know, probably a similar price to what we pay for, you know, whole snapper or, yeah. but it is great, it's a good, it's a good sign, you know, mm. and more people are eating it, there's yeah. more demand, and it's, in terms of its reproduction, um, how quickly it replenishes and grows it's it's super fast growing I think it grows sort of between 20 and 30 centimeters a year so it's it's a sustainable option to sort of purchase and eat thank you so much uh, for having us Tom it was a beautiful fish beautiful space and really really fun I can't wait to to cook that for someone important (laughs) thanks thanks for coming guys we really um, it's been great to have you here and show you around uh, yeah what we're doing and, and what we're all about so cheers 
So heaps of uh, appreciation and thanks to Tom and the team at Kingy for having us. Thank you. We loved it. Highly recommend Hotel Britama as a staycation if you're in Auckland or a vacation if you're not. It's vibrant down there at the moment. It's a really uh, wonderful part of the city. And if, if, you, if you've paid enough for your room, you get to take your book down and use the libraries, uh, use that space to just hang out and enjoy it. And make sure you order the flounder. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I can't wait. Booking this week. Final uh, reminder, August 15, Visa Wellington on a plate, Parrot Dog Brewery. Simon's big celebrity moment. I'm I'm a little bit nervous that no one's going to show up. Simon um, thinks he's the headliner I've of Wellington least, on a plate. I've got at least like three or four friends who are coming. That's heaps. I got so, maybe well, five. Yeah, do you reckon we should do some like dummy calling around just to make sure that if the seats are empty? No, I've done it already. <laughs> Just um, jokes. It's going to be fucking oversold. Pat, it's going to be There's going to be people line. there just drinking beer anyway who will just be like, oh, didn't know this was happening. They but we'll leave. pretend. Yeah. <laughs> we'll clear the room. <laughs> we're, we're like a um, a real bad song by a DJ, just like dance floor clears. I was thinking we're like a bad mix of humble and arrogant. <laughs> it's going to be mix. packed, but we're also not sure whether anyone's going to come. So if you guys could come, that'd be great. I'm definitely not very humble. Uh, but as always, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for your help, Tahi, on both the field Thank record you. and looking after us today. Thank uh, you. Sign up to Spinoff members. Subscribe to all the Spinoff Podcast Network's podcasts. Shout out to Has Beats on our intro and outro music. And we'll see you all in Wellington uh, on August 15. Sophie hasn't booked her flights yet. They're still cheap, apparently. <laughs> it's not too late to fly down to see us. Or up, if you happen see to be in the South Island. Alice, you're so aware of all these things. Such a beautiful so editor. It's great. It's nice. mm. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ted. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.